Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm going to be diving right in today. Um, there was a, a couple years ago, um, about three years ago, I remember sensing that we were going to be called to step up as a church, and I'm sensing those things again. And I can't think of a better passage than 1 Samuel 17 to speak to that, so that's what we're going to dive right into. So here we go, 1 Samuel 17. If you've got your Bibles, open up. We're going to spend most of our time in this chapter. In fact, we're going to try to go through this entire chapter here this morning. Um, it's the, the chapter that focuses on the account of David and Goliath. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, in fact, I'll ask for a show of hands. How many of you at least heard the story before, David and Goliath? All right. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on how many of you have actually read the account as it appears in the Bible. I bet there's a lot of hands that wouldn't go up. And that's not a shaming thing. It's just a reality thing. A lot of us think we're really familiar with that story. When you dig in, there are things I didn't know about the story, and I'll share some of those with you today. So here we go. Let's dive in. 1 Samuel 17, starting with verse 1. Now the Philistines, this army, this invading army, they gathered their forces for war. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. That's how the account opens, with these two armies going to war. I left a lot of specifics out because, quite frankly, I couldn't pronounce all the names. I didn't want to look stupid. I do that enough in front of you guys. Um, and so there, there's specific names. They give specific places. This was an actual battle. One of the things you're going to see as you read this account, it reads more like history than it does a legend. It names names. It gives places. And it gives these, these, these actual armies. There's the Philistines. They were real. They were a tribe of what was known as the Sea Peoples that settled uh, in the coastal plain there of the, the Mediterranean. Uh, they were uh, from the west, and they established five capital cities in what we now call Palestine. And during this period in history, they were the number one military threat to the nation of Israel. Now, if you imagine this room as a battlefield, let me set up what this was like. And this will kind of show you again why this seems like a real account. If, if this is a real battlefield and that's, that's east, that's west, that's south, that's north, the nation of Israel occupies the hill country behind us uh, off that way in the east, all right? So that's where they are. The Philistines, they occupy the coastal plains to the west. They're along the edge of the Mediterranean there. And this valley that they're in, was it was a real valley. There were hills to the south. There were hills to the north. And if you wanted to invade from the west and you wanted to invade Israel, you would have gone down this valley. And so if you wanted to protect your nation from invasion, you would have met the Philistines on this battlefield. So again, so far this is reading like history. And it's interesting to note that excavations in that area found a fortress right in this area dated to roughly this time of the, the year, this period in history. Okay, so you've got these two armies. They're camped on either side of this valley and a champion. Let's pick up with the text. A champion we see in verse 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, that number may not mean anything to you. It didn't to me. I had to go look up some conversion charts. I looked up the charts. I brought in a tape measure today, and that giant in the back is almost exactly six cubits and a span. That's how tall the giant was. Nine foot, if, according to this text, about nine foot six, nine foot nine inches. That big. Now, there, that's from the ancient Hebrew text. If you look and translate the actual ancient Hebrew text, that's what they put him at. If you look at what's called the Septuagint, the ancient Greek text, they put him at about 6'9". Either way, he's big, 
all right? He's big. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor. And they weighed 5,000 shekels. And he had a bronze javelin that was slung on his back, an iron point that weighed 600 shekels. He had a shield bearer that went ahead of him. This guy's not just big, he's bad. He is bad. He's all iron manned out with the best tech of the day. He's got the armor that's maximizing protection with flexibility. And he's so strong. Imagine this. That it says it was 5,000 shekels for his armor. That exhibit back there, and I'm going to call it an exhibit. It is an interactive exhibit. It's not just Bob with a beard. It is an exhibit. All right? I put At the base of it, I put a 25-pound weight. 5,000 shekels is five of these. So if you want to get a glimpse of how big this guy was, pick up one of these. Imagine five of them. That's just what his armor weighed. All right? So he's coming out on the battlefield with armor that weighed this much. It says that the tip of his spear, literally, if you translate that word from Hebrew, it's the flame of his spear. The flame of his spear weighed 15 pounds, which is as much as these. That's not the whole spear. That's just the tip of the spear. So if you want to pick those up after the service, you start to realize this guy is big. He's imposing. I wish we would have had the full prop department. We could have put him up with a big spear in his back. That's what stepped out from the Philistine army. And that's also where a lot of people say, no, I'm checking out because there's no way. There's no way. Okay, I can, I can see the battlefield, right? But this is clearly an example of exaggeration. This is why you got to move beyond the story. Storybooks, right? And look into the text and then do your research. Take a look. Some of you, how many of you have ever seen, um, what's the book? Guinness Book of World Records. Anyone ever seen that book? All right. There was a nine-footer, there was a nine-footer that lived in, in the 30s, 40s. There's a picture of him. Robert Waldo. This is not a Photoshop thing. I don't, they didn't have Photoshop back in 1940. He was 8'11". So he was basically a nine-foot guy. So is it possible in the, in the scope of human history that there, there was an, another person that was as tall as him? It seems probable or possible. And it's even more interesting when you go back and look at the historical documents coming out of that time, like the one we're looking at now, but you say, well, that's just one document. There's another one. We call it the book of Joshua. They talk about in this region, there were giants. That's why they didn't want to invade that region, because there were giants. You say, well, that's in the Bible, and I don't want to give any credence to the Bible. Okay, here's another one. Here's a, one of my sources. I came across this. They said champions of this size are not simply a figment of Israelite imagination or the result of embellished legends. An Egyptian letter, the Egyptians went to battle against the Canaanites uh, throughout history. An Egyptian letter from the 13th century BC, which, which was a little before this account that we're looking at, describes fierce warriors where? In Canaan, that were how tall? They put them in the same range that the scriptures. And it gets even better than this. As I was doing research this week, two of my sources mentioned an artifact that was unearthed at the site of Gath, which was Goliath's hometown. In 2005, a pottery fragment containing the oldest Philistine inscription ever found was unearthed where? At Gath. It had two names on it. The first name appears to have been the name what? Now, I've, I've talked to folks enough to know that for some folks, you could take foot skeleton with dog tags around it that said Goliath on it, produce it, and they'd say, well, I still that's not enough for me. I understand that. All I'm trying to do by saying these things is, does it appear within the realm of 
possibility that there was another nine-footer just like out from the ranks. It appears as though this is reading like history. All right, so Goliath, let's pick up with the actual account. First Samuel 17, verse 8. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and defeat, this is the first of several brackets you're going to see because we have the kids with us. I'm editing for, to make this a little more family friendly. All right. So if he's able to fight and defeat me, we will become your subjects. If I overcome him and defeat him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistine's word, Saul was their king, the Israelite king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I want to draw your attention to that last line. The Bible is extremely intentional about all that it says in there. It says Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. When Saul is introduced, he's introduced as being a head taller than the other Israelites. And he's the man that was anointed Israel's going to send forth a champion. Who should that champion be? It should be Saul. And it says, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. We've got Saul right now who's he's king in title only. Because he should be out there. In fact, the whole reason that Saul became king was so Israel would have someone to lead them in battle. So Saul isn't even doing the whole point of, of why he was king. All right, we'll keep reading, picking up with verse 12. Now comes David. David was the son of Jesse, who was from where? Bethlehem. Why do we say Bethlehem is the city of David? Because Bethlehem is the city that David was from. All right, so Beth, David's from Bethlehem. Jesse, uh, Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Let's keep reading. Now Jesse says to his sons, David, hey, take this roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take also along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit who must have been from Wisconsin. And see how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. All right, now, this is fun. I want you to note some things, and, and we'll come back to it here in a second. Uh, Jesse gave David three tasks. He said, bring this food to your brothers and to their commanding officer. Number two, he said, make sure they're okay. And then three, he's saying, bring me back some token from the battlefield, some token of assurance that things are going to be okay. Remember those three things. All right, early the next morning, David leaves the flock in care of a different shepherd. He loads up, sets out as Jesse directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle positions, shouting their war cry. So here, again, there's so many points we could go off on today. It's going to be tough enough to keep the message on time here, but one of the places we could go off on is this whole idea of people who profess to be believers shouting a war cry. Because the Israelites were up there, and, and for 40 days, they'd come out and they'd shout their war cry. Woohoo, we're all that. And then Goliath would come out, and then they're like, woohoo, he's all that. And they'd run away. And, and how many times do Christians come and we say, our hope is in Jesus? 
All to Jesus I surrender. All these things. Then we leave. All the war cries stay in the room. All right. Moving on. 17, 21. Verse 21. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing one another. David did what dad said. He, one, left his things with the keeper of the supplies. Two, he ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And this time, David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Again, I mentioned Jesse asked uh, David to do three things. He's already got two of the three done. He dropped off the food, he checked with his brothers, and he's about to bring home a token of assurance from the battlefield. When David hears Goliath's challenge, it is clear that David has eyes to see things that others don't. When they see Goliath, they see him. They see this invincible war machine. What David sees, he goes, this is the servant of the dead God. He doesn't have a chance against the living God. He has the audacity to insult the armies of the living God. Now, if we had more time, I would love to back up to chapter 16 and, and work through that line by line. I want to encourage you, if you haven't recently read it, go back and take a look at 16. There are those who say chapter 16 is out of order. It's an example of the Bible being written by multiple, that section being written by multiple authors. By the way, I see chapter 16 and 17. You know, for one, because of what happened to David in 16. David doesn't just appear on the battlefield in the Bible. He appears in chapter 16. And he appears in this account where the prophet Samuel is, is being led by the Spirit of God to go anoint the person that's going to be the next king of Israel. And, and he comes to Jesse's house as God had led him, and he sees the oldest son of Jesse, and with physical human eyes, we'd say, oh, that's the one. But the Spirit of God says, no. And passes the next one, that's all the way down to the youngest. So David is already brought into the story in a situation where God is revealing with spiritual eyes, things that we can't see. God picks the youngest rather than the biggest and the strongest. And then it says, when he's anointed, when David's anointed by Samuel, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed. And now that same Spirit that gave spiritual eyes to Samuel now has evidently giving, given David eyes to see things that others don't. Because they see big Goliath, invincible war monger. David says, I see food for the wild animals. And we'll see that here in a second. Those around David saw a reason to shrink back. David saw a reason to step up. Verse 31. When David, what David said, because David now starts saying, come on, we can do this, guys. With God, we can do this. What David said was overheard, and it was reported to Saul. And Saul sent for David. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, it's important to note here that in the ancient Near East, military victory was interpreted as a victory, not just for the people on the battlefield, but for that nation's God. Specific to this battle, Israel's enemies believed the God of Israel was a God of the hills. Why? Because Israel lived in the hills. They said their God must be from the hills. Let me show you a passage. This actually comes a little later in the Bible. This is out of 1 Kings 20, verse 23, but it relates directly to this. Take a look at this. This is a different army fighting against Israel. 
The servants of the king of Syria in this instance said to that king, their gods, meaning the gods of Israel, but there's not really gods, there's one God, right? But they said, their gods, the gods of Israel, they're the gods of the hills. That's why they're stronger than we, but let us fight them where? In the plain, and we're stronger because we got the gods of the plain. So now let's go back to our battlefield. Where is Goliath standing when he's taunting? He's down in the valley. So imagine the Philistines are like, we got this. We got the big guy. We got him in the valley. Come on, Israel, bring it. David doesn't see it like that. He says it's all about God being on our side, and there's one true God, and he's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And it's interesting as you look back, you see that God had already prepared David for this moment. He had already prepared him for this moment. If you go back to chapter 16, you see that God had already positioned David with King Saul. This wasn't the first time Saul met David. Long before this, David was brought into Saul's court. And most of us know, I mean, I had remembered that he played music for, for that was the universe assignment. Um, David, he, David used to play music for King Saul. I don't know how I missed this for 46 years. David was also Saul's armor bearer. Is that significant? God had already positioned David as King Saul's armor bearer. God had already positioned David in a place where he had an audience with King Saul. He had a voice with King Saul. And not only that, he had prepared face foes that were bigger than him. Let's take a look at this. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 33. Saul replies to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're just a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, hey, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized its hair. I struck it, and I defeated it. Now, facing a bear is no small thing. We were in Colorado once. We faced a bear. That is no small thing to face a bear. For David to not just have faced it, what the text doesn't paint a picture of the bear kind of coming towards the flock, David taking, taking aim and shooting it, the text has David going after the bear. That's radical faithfulness to his position as a shepherd. That is radical faithfulness. And here's one thing I just want to say. That, again, this is a, we could go off an entire message series on this. When you're facing a bear, you might think it's a giant. You don't know that the bear was a bear until you face a giant and come back. What that's worth. All right, moving on. Verse 36. David says, your servant has defeated both the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. That's how it reads in English. In Hebrew, paw, paw, paw. It's all the same word. So in Hebrew, it's, hey, God rescued me from the paw of the lion. He rescued me from the paw of the bear. He can rescue me from the paw of that guy. It's the same God. And then Saul says this, and this is one of the most tragic lines in Scripture. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. That's tragic. 
It's tragic if you read chapter 16. It's tragic because in verse 13 of chapter 16, you have the spirit rushing upon David, and it changes everything. And in verse 14 of chapter 16, we read that the spirit departed from Saul. And we see that in play right here. The guy who should be the champion, he's shrinking back in fear. The spirit of God is no longer upon him. And the guy who's the armor bearer has the spirit, and he's running towards Goliath. Then Saul says, picking up verse 38, dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him. He put a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened the sword over the tunic, tried walking around because he was not used to them. He goes, I cannot go in these, said he said to Saul, I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He grabbed his staff, his shepherd's staff in his hands. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and his sling was in his hand. With that, he approached the Philistine. Now, here's another message you'll have to save for another day. I'm just going to touch it on it now. David took five stones. He is an example of audacious faith. He took five stones. We're a five-stones church, if you're just getting to know us. We don't believe it's faith or go to the doctor. We don't believe it's faith or margin. We don't believe it's faith or planning. Take five stones and never prosper. Picking up verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David. He looked him over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And then he said to David, as immortalized in David and the giant pickle by the veggie tails, he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll defeat you, and I'll feed you to the birds and the wild animals. Well, David then says to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to strike you down and, and we'll just, we got kids in the room. Uh, that, that section is rated PG-13. All right, immediately following uh, this, uh, David says this, uh, the very, this very day, I'm going to feed the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and then the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Now, interestingly enough, when I was doing my research for uh, this week, I found out that, that slings and stones started to appear on the battlefield not long after this. In fact, if you want to come up afterwards and take a look, I bookmarked a page where we've got an Assyrian, this is a, a photograph of an Assyrian artifact where the Assyrian army is doing slings from 700 BC, which was after this event. Very interesting to me. But what I want to really focus on right now is how when God defeats this enemy, this giant who is representing the gods of the Philistines, when God defeats him, he falls what? What does the Bible say? He falls face down. He's face down. Now, that's interesting. Again, if you were reading the entire scroll back in the day, 
you would have came across 1 Samuel chapter 5. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, there's this incident where the Philistine army invades Israel. They invade Israel. They capture what's called the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take a look at what happens. This is backtracking, 1 Samuel chapter 5. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer and to Ashdod. They carried the Ark into Dagon's temple, one of their gods, Dagon's temple, and they set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon. He was what? Fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon. They're like, well, this is wrong. Let's set it back up. Don't know what happened, but let's set the statue back up. They set the back statue back up. They go home. They go to bed. They come the next day, and the statue is fallen down. And what happened to its head? Head. Remember how I said, Jesse, David, do a third thing. Bring me back a token of assurance in the battlefield. Some parallels here. Read the whole story. But when all was said and done, here's how chapter 17 ends. Saul asked David, whose son are you, young man? And David replied, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. And this may be the most amazing passage, all the passages here, because this foreshadows pages yet to be written. This foreshadows and prophesies about a time when another descendant of Jesse who was born in Bethlehem would arise. His name meant the Lord saves. And that good shepherd would take on the biggest giants of all, sin, death, the devil himself. In one of the ancient prophecies, this champion is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that brings us to our application. Let's, this is important. We have to do it fast, but this is important. I want to encourage you to take out your blue sheets and write this down. When it comes to our church, God gave us our name. Never heard me tell the story, and I'd love to share that with you sometime. God gave us the name Emmanuel. And, and, and what we want to do is we want to honor the name that God gave us more than anything else. And to say, God, would you help us to honor that name? That's a scary prayer. It's a scary prayer. And that brings us to our next talk point on your blue sheet. Because God with us living often requires radical faithfulness in the moment. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Yes, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Isn't that true? God with us living requires radical faithfulness in the moment. You will be called to step up when others shrink back. Again, I wish we had more time. I would love to spend a lot of it thanking those of you who've walked with us so faithfully for these seven plus years. Because together, stepped up when called upon. The, the very founding of this church was a, was a bear, you know? Because pretty much none of us had ever done this before. Starting a church from scratch, this is, this is big. This is bigger than us. Most of us had never done that before. You know, and then, then, then I mentioned at the front end of this message how a couple years ago I felt like we were being asked to step up. I felt that. And that was before our friend Howell got kidnapped. And then we got the phone call from Juarez. Hey, we've got a young man here who's being targeted by the cartel. Can you take him? 
It's a lion. That was bigger than us because we were writing a blank check because it wasn't yes until it gets hard. It is yes. Thank you. Those of you who have been with us together through these, these bears, these lions, what if God has a giant in store for us? That brings us to the last talk point on your sheet. And I count on you to run with me towards a giant if God calls us to run towards a giant. And there's one of them that we're running towards right now. And I, I put on the bottom here, teen ministry. It, it's, it's a bear for us to go for a full-time youth director. That's, that's a bear because that's, that's a big challenge. A church our size, because we're not just, we're looking to do this well. That's, that's a bear. But that's not what we're doing. We're not just trying to hire a person. The, the whole reason we even went with a full-time person, many of you know the story. I, I was at a conference, and we were going back and forth. Do we go part-time? Do we go full-time? You know, with this position, because really the numbers say we should go part-time instead of full-time. But I'm having this conversation with her. her name's Ginny Olson. She's the, the youth coordinator, the youth director of directors in our, in our region. And I asked her, I said, you know, what do you think? She says, well, let me ask you a question. She said, what church in your area is doing a great job with youth ministry? What church in your area really has that buzz that God is with them and, and, and he's doing a great work? answered my question. There might be them out there, but why can't we think of them? This is a giant because God's not calling us just to hire a person. He's calling us to run towards this vacuum in the northeast suburbs of a ministry that is both magnetic to teenagers and life-changing. You can make magnetic you can be big, hypey programs. Nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, right? You can do life-changing with one or two people. You can do both. That's bigger than us. Bigger than us. And the moment we try to say it's about us, that's the moment the spirit departs. It's a giant. I have some question marks on the others because I don't know. But I'm, these are three that certainly are on my radar I put the children's home on there, question mark. The children's home we're a part of in, in Juarez. We've got some bears when it comes to the children's home. I, feel, I believe we should try to get every kid at that home sponsored this year. That's a bear. That's big. But what if God asks us to step up to a giant? What if something happens down in that home where God's asking us to buy the property, keep the school open, what if something like that happens? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to step up? And again, I'm not saying like just if, it, if the circumstances are there, if God calls us to step up. Because that's bigger than any of us. I have another one here, question mark, sister church. At some point, I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be three years. I don't know if it's going to be 10 years. But some point in our history, we will outgrow two services here. We're on track for that to happen relatively soon. It would be a lion for us to try to find a bigger place to meet. That would be a big challenge, but we've done it before. We, we can do that. What if God calls us to a giant? 
What if it's not just all move? What if it's stay and another place? What if the, 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 the normal history here at the community center is people start a church here and then they go off and, and get a piece of property? What if God says to us, hey, I want that not just, let's break that. Let's, let's, let's have a church here that is committed as long as the doors are open to us to have a community church in a community center. And let's even press in more what that means. And let's have a sister church. What if it's that? Because that's bigger than us. That's huge. Either one of those. Is a, what if it's both? And then this last one, school and sports. If you're in high school right now, if you're in junior high, if you're in elementary, there's no margin left. By the time you get done with everything that's expected for you with school, there's no margin for family and faith. Because you go to school all day, you come back, you got three hours of homework. And then with sports, you know, it used to be that Wednesdays were protected, at least in my little town. It used to be Sunday mornings were sacred. It used to be that you know, you could get on a team if you really tried hard. It used to be that money wasn't the determining factor of how far you could go. Right now, sports are getting priced out of most price ranges. They, they've become such a god that right now everything else bows to it. What if God's calling us to be not just standing with a war cry, hey, things shouldn't be like this. What if God's saying, see what could possibly be. What if something that big? And, and when I look at our church, and I look out at a lot of you, God positioned David. Think how many teachers we have in our church. How many coaches, how many nurses. I don't know. Is God going to call us to something that big? I don't know. But what I do want to be able to say is, okay, God, if you identify a giant, and it is clearly from you, we're not going to see the giant. We're going to see that. Anyone else with me? All right, let's pray. Father, certainly there are all kinds of individual giants that I'm sure came to mind as we were uh, going through this, this text. Lord, we, we pray for those individual giants that you are going to give each and every individual what they need. Lord, right now, we come to you we pray that your spirit would be poured upon us in such a way that it's irrevocably, that we could not not charge the giant that you call us to charge. We thank you, Lord, that the battle's not up to us. We thank you that the struggle's not against us. We pray that you would help us to not be like Saul who fought wrongly. We pray that instead the spirit that filled Christ would fill us with grace and respect. Lord, may we not only get that courage from you, but from one another as we move into 2015 we charge those who call us to charge. May our answer be yes to what was the question. If you do want to pray about these things, because some of you probably are facing, not probably, everyone's facing 
individual giants. If you'd like to pray about those or anything, there's a group of people who'd love to pray with you. Um, otherwise, uh, have a great week, and we'll see you in 2020.